Let us turn for our first scripture reading to Psalm 36. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the workers of iniquity have fallen. They have been cast down and are not able to rise. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this psalm uh, presents a glorious vision of God. And when I say a vision of God, I'm not using that word vision in, a, in the technical sense as if uh, it, uh, uh, it involves a kind of um, special revelation in the manner of uh, Zechariah's visions that he received from the Lord. But rather, I use that term, a vision of God, to uh, express the fact that this psalm describes our Lord in such a way as to help us to perceive uh, His greatness and His His wonders, the the goodness of His grace, to perceive them with the eye of faith, as God is set forth before us here. The Lord is set before us in this rich, this imagery, uh, word pictures, if you will, and comparisons that are drawn uh, from creation. And these comparisons, these word pictures, they, they teach us how to see God by faith. And of course, that is very necessary for true prayer. To come to God in prayer and faith is to come to Him believing that He is. That He is, that is, the living and true God. The one who is majestic, powerful, and holy, and one who is also gracious and kind and merciful. The one who is the rewarder of those who, who seek him. And so we're going to be considering briefly this blessed vision of God that we're given in this psalm. And it's a vision that is presented to us as a vision that is uh, communicated to us in the midst of a world that itself is blind. So we're considering the blessed vision of God in a blind world. And we got to begin with the consideration of the blindness of this world, even as this psalm begins 
in the first four verses uh, with a description of the world, that is, the world of people in their opposition to God and in their unbelief and wickedness. And it really provides then a contrast between the glory of God uh, with the depravity of man. David was able to see this contrast. And it's by grace that he was able to recognize and to perceive the true character of the world. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. A word that speaks to his heart. And that's a way of describing the kind of perception that that he himself has by grace to see things as they really are. Just as we know ourselves uh, truly only in relation to God, we're able to see that the evil state of this world only in the light of God's truth, only in connection with the true knowledge of God are we able to perceive the true state of the world. And that's what's described here in rather dark terms. Actually, Paul quotes verse 1 in Romans chapter 3 where he gives this uh, dark description of human depravity. And he says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's taken from uh, verse 1. The wicked lack the vision of God, we might say. If they knew Him truly, yes, they are confronted with the reality of God's greatness, His existence, and His power in creation, but they suppress that knowledge. But if they knew Him truly, they would begin to see Him truly. And they would begin to see Him everywhere. They would see His handiwork in creation. They would recognize His government of the world. They would recognize the presence of His law even within their own consciences. And they too would then begin to, to fear Him, to revere His greatness and His, His goodness. But instead, they have an exalted view, not of them, of God, but of themselves. He flatters himself in his own eyes. His perception is filled with self-interest and the imagined greatness of his own life. Blind to God's greatness, the wicked are then blind to their own smallness and insignificance in comparison, and they're blind to their own sin before God. The wicked doesn't even really see much less uh, hate the reality of sin and iniquity. And of course, this affects everything in his life. It affects his words. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. It affects his conduct. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He sets himself in a way that is not good, we read in verse 4. It affects his thinking, his schemes. He devises wickedness on his bed. It affects his feelings, his moral perception. He does not abhor evil. He's not repulsed by wickedness. He's drawn to it. He's attracted to it. He thinks about it. He practices it. Well, the vision of God looks up and away from this 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 dark and ugly reality of the world of fallen and depraved people. And uh, it's immediately following this description that we're transported, so to speak, by this psalm. 
uh, to this vision of God that we want to consider secondly. Imagine yourself at one of those scenic turnouts on the the Jasper and uh, Banff, or the Jasper to Banff Highway or the other way around, and you, you stop at this roadside turnout, and there before you is this this deep blue lake, pearl blue, and surrounding it are these towering mountains with ice and snow at their peaks. And above it is a blue uh, sky with white billowy clouds floating above you. The kind of scene that many of us have uh, observed and been enthralled with, delighted with this display of the beauty of God's handiwork. And thankfully, we can see it as a display of God's handiwork. Thankfully, we don't just see it as a pleasing view of, of, uh, of nature. We reject the notion that this is somehow uh, a chance product of evolution or the work of Mother Nature. No, we recognize the handiwork of God and we take special delight in such things as those who know God. Abraham Kuyper said that the invisible God reveals himself glimmering in and behind the veil of nature. God reveals himself in creation. And the Bible is full of language that speaks of God's presence and power uh, as being very active in creation in a way that captures our, our imagination. We sang from Psalm 29, which speaks of the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord causes the deer to calve. The voice of the Lord is it's talking about thunder. The Bible describes earthquake or uh, volcanoes as God touching the hills and they smoke. God rides upon the, the, the wings of the wind. The Bible is filled with this rich imagery of God's presence and power in creation. Yes, the created world, in contrast to the world of men and their sin, the created world reveals God's power and goodness as creator. It makes his presence visible in his works. In fact, it also helps our vision, our perception of God's moral attributes. And that's what this psalm does. And when we, when we look at uh, those those majestic mountains, we may well think of the, of the, of the righteousness of God as grand and majestic, as immovable and lofty and pure. And when we look into the heavens, uh, we re- remember that God's mercy is in the heavens. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. His faithfulness reaches to the clouds, unaffected by what's happening here below. God's faithfulness is lofty and beautiful. And His judgments are a great deep. You can't see to the depths of those uh, blue lakes. And so God's judgments, God's ways, the way He does exercise judgment in terms of when and upon whom and where and why, 
They're beyond our grasp. They leave us marveling at the depths of his, his justice, his decisions, the way he governs the world. And the psalmist draws from creation to help us meditate upon these moral characteristics, these attributes of God. It helps our vision. In fact, creation provides imagery for God's tender care. We can see the security of his love in its comparison in verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Again, the imagery of wings, of protection and shelter. Even if it's a reference to those wings of... uh the angels in the Holy of Holies, this, the idea is the same. It's the idea of security and God's protection and care. Or the satisfaction that we derive from God's blessings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. Comparing the blessings of, of God's grace to the, the fullness that we experience when we ate a, eat a great good meal. And you give them to drink from the river of your pleasures. An abundant, ever-flowing supply. Like a deep, flowing river. With you as the fountain of life. As always springing up. The Belgic Confession describes God as the overflowing fountain of all good. And you see, we can relate to uh, these descriptions because we can connect with the creation imagery in which we're taught of God's, God's goodness and, and God's greatness and His grace. We see by the light that He gives. Yes, it's in the light of the sun that we're able to uh, go about our daily activities and see the beauty of His creation. And it's by the light of His revelation that we're able to see things as they really are. That we're able to perceive the truth. You see, this vision of God, it compels our worship, it draws our confidence and our trust in Him for all things. He preserves man and beast, and He gives us the assurance of His grace. And finally, then, we look at our plea. There is honesty in this psalm about the wicked, and when it comes to the description of the wicked that we're given there in the first four verses, there's really no lofty imagery Rather, we recognize that we just have a kind of blunt, straightforward uh, description. They're called wicked, they're referred to as evildoers, and they're presented here in this psalm in order to teach wisdom. Because the Lord, in effect, is saying, don't be like them. There's even a tone of indignation in these opening verses. And it teaches us, indeed, to be realistic about about the world we live in. And it's a world in which there is a stark antithesis. There is a contrast between the glory and goodness of God and the reality of human sin and wickedness. And we're realistic about about that when it comes to our prayers. We, we pray as the church uh, militant. We live in the midst of the antithesis, the contrast between the truth and the lie. And we face enemies and we are weak before the reality of spiritual dangers in this life. And there's no air of superiority or arrogance here. This vision of God that we're given, it doesn't, it doesn't inflate us uh, with arrogance. It doesn't puff us up with pride. 
but it humbles us. And this vision of God helps us to pray. To pray like the psalmist does. When he says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. And then in verse 10, Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. And yes, at the heart of this vision of God is his loving kindness to us. That's mentioned in verse 7, how precious it is. And then in verse 10, we pray for the continuation of that loving kindness of God. Because at the heart of this vision of God is the revelation of his grace. And that grace is revealed to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, there is also a note of strong confidence here. Uh, verse 12 is uh, a matter-of-fact kind of statement. It ends this psalm with the observation, there the workers of iniquity have fallen. They have been cast down and are not able to rise. And within this psalm, we pray for protection from the wicked. We, we pray for deliverance from them. And our need is real. And God's covenant faithfulness is certain. And the true vision of God that we're given doesn't leave us in any doubt about that. Amen.